0: First Timothy chapter 3, enjoyed the music all day today, I'm grateful for it, and uh, it's a blessing this morning to have some visiting families with us, and we're thankful for that. We've been emphasizing in recent services about the privilege of serving and some things about serving. If you have to miss a service, I'd encourage you to try to find it online. And One of my favorite lessons that we've covered in recent weeks was this past Wednesday night about the eyes the eyes of a servant. And if you missed that, you can probably find that online. I'd encourage you to do that. But it's really good to be refreshed about the privilege of serving the Lord. So if you have your Bible there, 1 Timothy 3, let's stand together and we're going to read... Beginning in verse 8, last week we covered the first seven verses of this chapter, talking about the office of the bishop. And then, well, two weeks ago, the office of the bishop. Last week about the role of deacons and tonight about these uh, biblical expectations, qualifications of deacons, beginning in verse 8. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine not greedy of filthy lucre holding the mystery of the faith and a pure conscience and let these also first be proved then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless even so must their wives be grave not slanderous slanderers excuse me sober faithful in all things let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well, purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. And those are the verses that we'll deal with tonight. But let's go ahead and read a couple other verses just to remind ourselves of the context of Paul's Epistle, his letter to Timothy, when he says, These things write unto thee, Timothy, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Let's praise Him again. Father, thank You again for Your Word tonight. We pray that You'd bless as we open our eyes and our hearts to Your truth. We thank You for this Bible before us. We thank You in Particularly for this first epistle to Timothy, the instruction to churches, the wisdom of God concerning local assemblies, we're grateful for it. Pray you'd bless tonight as we study. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You might wonder if you haven't been in in, uh, tune with these messages on serving, why? A message, why a lesson, why a sermon on deacons because deacons are servants in the church. We've been talking about servants and servanthood being um, servant leaders, what servant looks like. These servants were, these, these first deacons as we talked last week were elected to help the pastor in the church in Jerusalem or the pastors to care for the flock. There were things that were, came up, needs that were not being addressed. Among the congregation, and the and the apostles had to make a decision: Are we gonna we we're gonna we gonna stop what we're doing to go take care of this? And then they made this recommendation to the church body there that we recommend that we uh, you cho- choose seven men out from among you, and he gave those uh, these qualifications. And uh, so deacons really were to assist the pastors. It would not be inaccurate to say that these first deacons were assistants to the preachers. They were to assist the preacher in what, he was, what they were doing to help them all fulfill a greater, uh, greater accomplishment. And the Lord blessed that in Acts chapter 6, as we saw, because the Lord added to the church and God was really working there. And so they were chosen by the church. Just kind of review over last Sunday night. They were chosen by the church. They were recognized for their spirituality and for their service. Uh, and unfortunately, some of us who have experienced this or seen this in other churches, the office of the deacon has kind of evolved into more of a some like a board position or a position of authority or whatever. But that's not really what the biblical role of deacons. De- deacons were servants in the church. And so let's look tonight at this First Timothy chapter three and just go through uh, some of these qualifications tonight and just spend more time on some than others. But I hope you'll take this to heart. This uh, And keep in mind what the instruction was. This is Paul writing to Timothy about how churches should conduct themselves. But in Acts chapter 6, there was a need. And they said, Look out from among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost, that we may appoint unto this business. So this is the kind of character they were looking for. And it's similar to what we find here in 1 Timothy chapter 3 in verse 8. You'll know the first word in verse 8 is likewise. Likewise. Seems like a strange way to start a sentence, likewise. But he's referring to the first seven verses that talked about the, the qualifications of a bishop or a pastor. And these were really character qualities, disciplines in their life. And so he says in verse eight, likewise is kind of a transition. Likewise, as you did with the elders or the bishops or the deacons, uh, likewise, are the excuse me the elders or bishops or pastors? Likewise, the deacons are going to have similar qualifications. And the first one is that they be grave. <laughs> it's an interesting qualification. Isn't it? It's not doesn't mean that they're dead. It just a grave means serious-minded. That they they have this ability you, to be for a person to be grave doesn't mean they can't ever use their sense of humor. It doesn't mean they can't ever smile. Uh, if if you never smiled. To be qualified for grave, we certainly have some people here that would qualify for it, but that's not really the qualification, that you not smile. It just means you have the ability to be serious because the ministry is serious work. doesn't mean it's not enjoyable. doesn't mean it's not pleasurable. But a person that's in a position of a deacon or a pastor should really reverence and be serious about the things of God because this is it's serious business. We ought to take the work of God seriously. And, uh, and the next thing it says about him is not double-tongued. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? And I think he's talking about not being deceitful or two-faced. When I think about double, double-tongued, I remember, I remember as a kid watching Western movies, or maybe it was um, The Lone Ranger, about people speaking with forked tongue. And um, I'm curious about words. I kind of looked up the etymology, the origin of that phrase you know, double-tongued. And the word forked tongue means to mislead or deceive. One one source claimed that the first use of the phrase speak with forked tongue was in 1690. Some of y'all would remember that. It was used by the Iroquois Indians against the French. They said white men speak with forked tongue. And what that means is they can't be trusted. They say one thing and they did. They misled the Indians, the Native Americans. And so, and by the way, snakes have a forked tongue. People with forked tongue cannot be trusted. Deacons ought to be honest. They ought to, they ought to not be, as it says there in verse 8, not double-tongued. And then it says not given to much wine. They should avoid alcoholic drink. I really look forward to, in the near future, uh, devoting a message to that subject of what the Bible says about alcoholic drink, I think it's a it's um, it's something we all need to be reminded about from time to time. But but until we do that, hold your finger here in First Timothy and go to the book of Proverbs, and that is just one familiar place that talks specifically about the danger of alcoholic drink. Proverbs chapter twenty-three, and we'll just read a few verses. And if you're not familiar with this passage, I would urge you to put a marker there of some kind, go back and read it and spend some time in it. But it says Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling, talking without making any sense? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine. They that go to seek mixed wine. They weren't just using wine as a beverage. They were using wine for its alcoholic potential and content. Verse 31, Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. And to me that means it's fermenting. It's, it's, it's alcoholic beverage. It's not just a, the, the fruit of the vine. And here's, here's what it'll do for you. Some of you young people ought to think about this. At the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me and I felt it not. When shall I wake? I will seek it yet again. Isn't that a great passage? Such a descriptive passage about the danger of alcoholic drink. Deacons should avoid alcoholic drink, they ought to have self control. Then it says this in 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, and verse 8 it says, the last part of verse 8, not greedy of filthy lucre personally they ought to have financial integrity they should not be covetous a lot of people including spiritual leaders have gotten in trouble because they could not be trusted with money you know um sometimes my mind just jumped to another track but i won't be gone long Sometimes when I'm talking, I had this happen to me in the last week. I'm talking to someone about their young person and they were concerned about a teenager and, and how they were living and what their decisions they were making. And, and I ask them a question that probably seems really uh, unrelated. I, ask, I said, do they tithe? You know why I ask that? Because if a person can't be trusted with their money, they can't be trusted with anything. Jesus said, "If a man is unfaithful with unrighteous mammon, who will commit to him the true riches?" Jesus said, "If you're not can't be trusted with money, you're not going to be trusted with things much more valuable than money." And so, they need not the deacons need not be greedy of filthy lucre. Um, our church, for I've been here for forty years, our church has always had very strict guidelines as far as handling money, counting money. You'll never see me sitting with a pile of money by myself. We insist that everybody who counts money, anybody who moves money, you know, what, etc. that there's always two people handling money. Uh, I tell you, a person, a person who steals has a great spiritual problem, but a person who would steal from God has an exceptionally great spiritual problem. That's God's money, every penny of it. If I find a quarter or a nickel on the parking lot in this building, i turn it in the offering. You know why? Because it's God's money. We ought to look at it that way. So a deacon ought to have financial integrity, not greedy of filthy lucre. Jesus said you cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is money. You cannot serve God in money. You can't have two masters. You know why we have money? We have money to glorify God. That's why God gives us money. That's why we have jobs, why God, that we might glorify God with it. And any person who is a, in spiritual leadership ought to faith, be faithful with their money, tithing, supporting missions, etc. So it says, not greedy of filthy lucre. They ought to be a good steward. Verse 9, moving along, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. Deacons ought to be sound in their doctrine, holding the mystery of the faith of the faith. If you look up in the first chapter of 1 Timothy, if you have your Bible open there, in 1 Timothy chapter one and verse 19, it says holding faith and a good conscience. Now he's talking here of his charge. This was Paul's charge to his son Timothy. Verse 18, this charge I commit unto the son Timothy according to the prophecies which went before. Here's the charge, verse 19, a part of it holding faith and a good conscience, holding on to sound doctrine, which some, verse 19 says, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. They've shipwrecked their life spiritual. It's the same, a similar language, as you find in chapter 3 and verse 9 about the deacon, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And that means that they are, they're, they're, they're holding, they're true servant leaders and they're holding on to the sound faith. And then it says in verse 10, and let these, i tell you what, let's skip verse 10, we'll come back to it. Let's go to verse 11. Even so, even so, about the, we're talking about the deacons, the people who are gonna serve as deacons, even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, Sober, faithful, and all. That'll be great. That'll be serious minded. Um, I, I just, when I read these things, and I, I'm not just saying this because I want to ask the church to ordain some deacons down the road a ways, but I'm just saying it because it reminds me of the kind of character God's looking for in people. Men and women who are serious about spiritual things. That doesn't mean you can't laugh occasionally. It doesn't mean that you can't have a good... It just means that grave means that we're serious-minded. Serious, you know, spiritual women are just as needed as spiritual men are. That'd be a good place for an amen. And it's one thing for women to get together or men to get together for that matter and have fellowship and just a good time and maybe go on some outing, those kind of things. There's nothing wrong with those kind of things. But but it's another thing to have a serious spiritual conversation with people about things that really matter, godliness and holiness. And that really is what grave is about. We're serious about our spiritual life. And then it says there, verse 11, I read it, not slanderers, the deacons' wives are not to be gossips, slanders, or whispers. By the way, no woman in the church is to be a gossip, a slander, or a whisperer. Amen. They ought, not to be, we're not to be busybodies. We're not to be gossips. But women ought to support their husbands in the ministry that God gave their husband. And that's an important thing. I was talking this recently. I think it was this past week. Uh, maybe a week before last. Uh, to a, with a pastor who was sort of just talking and lamenting the fact that a good man in their church left the church. And he said he left the church so, in order to save the marriage because his wife was so upset with the church and, and he had to basically give him a choice. You either choose me or the church. Isn't that a sad thing for a woman to do such a thing? And uh, by the way, I've seen that more than once, more than twice, at least three times. Where I'll never forget this. You ought to think about this, men and anyway. women. I'll never forget this. I was sitting in Lewis Cafe one time many, many years ago. Many years ago. And a man that I loved is probably as much as I've ever loved any man in the ministry was sitting right across from me. I could take you to the booth, I think, where I was sitting. And tears were just running down his cheeks. And he said, I just want to let you know, I'm going to to, we're going to have to leave the church. And I said, Why? And he said, because my wife says if I don't, we don't leave the church, she's going to leave me. And I cried with him and prayed with him. But isn't that a horrible thing? Isn't that a, isn't that a horrible thing? I, you say, well, why would God put the expectations of wives along the deacon? Because we're, a husband and a wife are in the ministry together. If that's pastoring, if that's deacon, whatever it is, we're serving the Lord together. And you, And I'll tell you, and I'm not... This man's been in heaven for a long time, so I'm not criticizing him behind his back. I don't know if he can hear me, but he may be watching. <laughs> I don't know about some of that stuff. Matter of fact, I don't think I'll say it, no. <laughs> but you know what? The sad thing is he lost his wife long before this incident happened. He lost his leadership his influence in his own wife's life, or they never would have been up at this place. Wives need to follow the leadership of their husband. Husbands need to be spiritual leaders in their home, and that's a sad place for a person to be. It also says in this verse verse uh, 11 that these wives must be grave, not slanderers, sober. Now, again, that's not talking about sober in the sense of not intoxicated. Sober just means have self-control. One synonym of sober is, is circumspect or vigilant. Taking, you know, being careful about things. They ought to be sober. And then it's just a very general a statement about wives of deacons in verse 11. Faithful in all things. In all their duties. Their family, their church duties, their spiritual growth. They're Faithful. And then in verse twelve, he he goes back to Paul goes back. He goes from the deacons to the wives now back to the deacons. In verse twelve, let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their and their own houses well. So he talks about like he did. The pastor talks about the family having a strong marriage, and leading their homes and ruling their children. Again, it's can you not? You can see this, and I think it's just worth pointing out. We think of the, the the high calling of being a pastor, a spiritual leader of a congregation and how important a position that is that God would ordain that position and want the right person in that position. But it's just as important that God said a man who's going to serve as a deacon needs to have the same kind of qualifications. I think that says a lot about how God feels about deacons, how important it is. And so... So it says there that that if they can't, you know, rule their, if they can't lead their family, if you can't take your wife and your children and lead them to a place, a better place spiritually, if they need that, how are you going to do that with somebody else's children? And the the answer is we need to be spiritual leaders in our own home. And then it says, back up to verse 10, I skipped over this, but I want to, I want to mention it at this point. Verse 10 says, And let these also, talking about the deacons, let these also first be proved. That's an interesting phrase. Let these be proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Now what does that mean to be proved? It means that they need to prove themselves. They need to to already have an example of this kind of behavior, this kind of a family. This kind of integrity, this kind of honesty, this kind of servitude—they all to. Need to you don't take a person and put them in a position and say, "Well, I think if we put them in that position, they would be a great servant." No, if they're not already a faithful servant, they must first be proved. They ought to be proved that they're faithful and prove that they're leading their family and prove, prove that they're that they're not, you know, using uh, their office in the wrong way. They need to prove they, and uh, so that's that's just. And that's what it said in uh, Acts chapter 6. Look out among you seven men just like this. By the way, none of us are perfect. I feel like I need to say that many times when I'm preaching. None of us are perfect. If you're looking for somebody that never makes a mistake, uh, go to some other church. Because that's where they leave our church to go to some perfect church. So find out where that is and you can go there. But none of, none, we're not perfect here. None of us are. right? But... I can say without hesitation, we have men in our church who would meet these biblical qualifications. They're faithful, they love the Lord, they love their family, they're leading their family in the right way. But they must first be proved. I was thinking about something that's very common uh, uh, in America, maybe in other countries as well, but probably not, about especially churches and associations or conventions. If you... 'Cause I've experienced this, we've experienced this. If someone says is there is a is a deacon in one church and they leave that church and they go to another church, in some circles they're immediately accepted as a deacon in that church. But you know what, you have, how do you prove that person? You know what I'm saying? You can't, you, you, just because they, they, may have, they may have torn that church apart. I'm not saying they did, but they could have. They come to your church, you welcome them right in. So they ought to be proven. That's what, that's your, the congregation is to be able to see this is the kind of person that we want to serve in that capacity. They ought to be observed and proved. And he says in verse 10, let them use the office of a deacon use the office of deacon, be the kind of deacon that they should be, being found blameless. We talked about that term blamelessness in talking about the bishop. And again, it doesn't mean that they've never made a mistake. It just means you can't put an accusation against them and make it, make it stick. If they said something out of place or they made a mistake, they've made it right. If They, you know, they, they take care of wrongs. They're examples of obedience and holiness is really what blameless is about. There's a very interesting conclusion to this in verse 13. I want to look at that for a moment. Where it says this. For they that have used the office of a deacon well. Purchase to themselves a good degree. And great boldness in the faith. Which is in Christ Jesus. So first of all he's talking about those who... Not, they're not only just in the office, but they use the office and they use it well. They serve well. They help the church. They help the pastors or bishops. They they deal with problems. They help promote unity. They use their service well. They help minister to people and 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 and, and help the church ministry to be more effective. And it's, and when it says they purchase, it just means that they they get for themselves. And what they get for themselves, they're not purchasing it with money. They're purchasing it with their service. They get to themselves a good degree. The word degree there doesn't mean like a plaque you put on the wall. It's, a, it's like a standing, a good standing or a good uh, place. And some, some say it's like a rung on a ladder. It's like, you, like if you do that well, you may move on to another position. And really that would be, to be, we talked about this last week, that could even be pastoring a church. You know, I, talk, I recently met with a pastor who's, who's faithfully pastoring in a church in another state But he served as a deacon in the church for many years before he ever was asked to be the pastor. And I think that's an example of what that's talking about. At least, we talked about this last week, at least two of the seven deacons, Philip and Stephen, who were deacons in Jerusalem, were gifted preachers, evangelists, who were preachers of the gospel. So godly deacons are great assets to a church. I've known some godly, godly deacons in my life. And, And so I thank God for this office. And... I want it to be on the church's mind. I want us to be praying about that, thinking about that, because in one day, you know, I'm going to ask the Lord uh, when and how, but I want to lead the church to to select some men to serve as deacons to to assist in the ministry of the people. Now, with that said, I want to just make three general observations about this because, again, I, I just feel really strong that... It would be, not only would it be unwise, unbiblical, it would be unbiblical for someone to say, for some man to say, well, I don't ever care about being a deacon, so none of those things matter to me. That's not why that's in there. That's not why God put those in there. This thing, this, these qualifications, made, to me, speak to every single one of us, men and women. Number one, about the importance of our Christian testimony and conduct. It matters. It matters what people in your family say about you. It matters what your children think about you, your extended family, people in your neighborhood. The things that we're looking for here in in deacons and deacons' wives ought to be present in all of our lives. All of us ought to be serious about spiritual things. That ought to be said about every single person, even teenagers who are sitting here who claim to have a testimony of faith in Christ Yes, you enjoy playing games. Yes, you enjoy going places with your friends. But you ought to be serious about your spiritual life. That is the most important thing in our life. Our walk with God, our relationship with God. If that's not a part of your life, you're missing out on what God wants for you. That's aside from whether you'd be a deacon or the wife of a deacon. Just like deacons are to be honest and trustworthy, all of us should be that way. Every one of us should be that way, just like a deacons are supposed to, and their wives are to control their tongues and not be gossips. Every one of you know James said in James chapter three, not to deacons and not to deacons' wives. To every person who names the name of Christ, every one of us that we assign a, an evidence of spirituality is the way we control our tongue. If a man know not how to control his tongue, how can he control his whole body? We ought to all be that way. And if I was sitting here tonight and I am I feel like I'd never be a deacon or the wife of a deacon, I'd still say, Lord, I want to be that kind of person. I, want, I don't want to be double-tongued. I don't want to speak. I don't want to be a hypocrite. We ought to all keep ourselves from substance abuse, from drinking and drugs, etc. We ought to all be good stewards of God's money. All of us. And that's not just tithing. That's paying our bills and saving and and preparing our lives for the future. All of us, just like they're to hold on to the truths of God's Word, all of us should hold on to the truths of God's Word. All of us should be strong in Bible doctrine. You know, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. That's not talking about deacons, that's talking about you and I. A good name, that's that's, that's having integrity and honesty. So it speaks of the importance of Christian character and Christian testimony. The second thing is it speaks of the importance of the Christian home. Every one of us ought to be striving to build a godly Christian home. That's true of every mom, every dad, every child, every one of us. I was, I was thinking about a hymn that... Uh, is not in our hymn book. It's a great hymn, God give us Christian homes. I want to read these words. Think about this, make this a prayer. God give us Christian homes. Homes where the Bible is loved and taught. Homes where the master's will is sought. Homes crowned with beauty your love has wrought. God give us Christian homes. God, give us Christian homes, homes where the Father is true and strong, homes that are free from the blight of wrong, homes that are joyous with love and song. God, give us Christian homes. The, homes in our, the music in our homes ought to reflect our faith in God. God, give us Christian homes, homes where the mother in caring quest strives to show others your way is best, Homes where the Lord is an honored guest. God give us Christian homes. And finally, God give us Christian homes. Homes where the children are led to know Christ in His beauty who loves them so. Homes where the altar fires burn and glow. God give us Christian homes. This, This speaks to me. This speaks about the church. It speaks about church leadership. It speaks about the pastor, the elder, the bishop. It speaks about deacons and the deacons' wives. But it's a reminder to all of us of the importance of Christian homes. It's never been more important. It's never been more important in the history of our country that families get serious about their spiritual lives and their families. I'll tell you, the world is stealing children out of the homes of God's people. And part of the reason is because, because in the lives of a lot of families, the Christianity is what we do at church, but we do something else at home. No, we do we do at home the same kind of stuff we do at church. God give us Christian homes. The importance of the Christian home. Have you ever thought, I've thought this. Have you ever thought, I wish I could... I wish I could just start over as a parent. If I could start over as a parent, I think I'd do a much better job. How many of you have ever thought that? I have. But you know what? There are no do-overs. You can't turn back the clock. But let me just let me make this suggestion. What if we started doing now the things we would have done if we'd have started right in the first place? What if we started doing that now? You know, the older the children are, the harder it is sometimes to win them over to the best way. The best way is God's way. But that don't mean we give up. We'd we'd rather give up anything than give up our kids. We want our children on board, loving God. Not just going to church loving God. Wanting to serve God. I'm impressed when I see a teenager that shows a real interest in the things of God. We had a guest here today, a sharp-looking teenage young man came up and shook my hand like a man and said, man, I really appreciate that message today. Young people, we ought to be serious about the Bible and the things of God. And we as parents ought to teach our children these things. So I'm looking at deacons and deacons' wives and I see the qualifications, but but they speak in general to all of us. All of us ought to have godly character and discipline. All of us ought to emphasize our home, the Christian home. And I, Everybody has to do what they believe God wants them to do. But, but, but it might, there comes times, and it's happened in our family before, many years ago, when you just need to sit down with the family and say, look, we've been letting some things slide around here. But with God as our helper, this is how we want it to be. The way we treat each other, the way we respect brothers and sisters, the way we obey mom and dad, the kind of stuff we see on television, all that kind of stuff. You get, it's a job, you have to work at it. But I thank God for people that work at it. So we see the importance of the Christian home. And the third thing we see is what we've been emphasizing strongly, and that is the importance of Christian service. The office of the bishop is an office Pastoral office is an office of serving. The office of the deacon is about serving. We emphasized this a couple of weeks ago. The lives of the apostles, they call themselves servants. The apostle Paul was a servant. Jesus was a servant. We're all servants. Every one of us are to be servants. God, I can say this without any hesitation, God has called every one of his children to be servants. We don't all serve in the same capacity, in the same place, but all of us are to be servants. Jesus didn't say this to a select few. Jesus said this to the masses, to his crowd, to the disciples. If somebody asks you to go one mile, go two miles. Do twice as much as expected of you. Go the second mile. Do more than is required. That's what Jesus calls his disciples to do. You most people in this room will never be asked to be a pastor or a deacon. But there are many ways that you can serve. And we ought to be servants of the Lord. I'm thankful to God that I was a servant before I was a pastor. And I try to be a servant as a pastor. And when the days come that I'm no longer a pastor, I want to be a servant after I'm a pastor. I don't serve, we don't serve God because of our position. And we serve God because of our relationship To Jesus Christ we ought all want to be servants and that takes humility it takes dealing with our own pride putting others first but that's what's needed amen that's what's needed in the work of God and you'll never have you'll never have more servants than you have need for them never I remember once when I was preaching at this little church where my mama used to attend. This was after I'd been up here, and I'd go home every once in a while. And, and his, name, his last name was, she had several pastors, but his last name was Hog, Hogg, H-O-G-G, Hogg. It's, it's, it sounds like H-A-W-G, but it's really H-O-G-G, Hogg, Doug Hogg. After church, he said to me, he said, Brother Smith, I know you're up there in a big church and you got more people working than you know what to do with, but it ain't like that around here. I said, hey, brother, it's not like that anywhere, (laughs) Brother (laughs) Hogg. Aren't you glad that God would let us serve him? What a blessing. What a blessing. We're all busy. But I'll tell you, if I, if I thought, and I don't know that anybody thinks this, but if I'm just too busy to serve the Lord, then I'd find something to take out of my schedule. Because all of us are to be servants of God. And like we said Wednesday night, our eyes ought to be on the Master. Lord, what do you want me to do today? What would you have me to do? Let's go to the Lord in prayer, all right? Our Father, we thank you this evening for your word. We thank you for the inspired word of God that never changes. We're thankful, Lord, that even though people may think, well, qualifications ought to change and standards ought to change and requirements ought to change, there just some things that never change. We want to hold on to the pure word of God tonight. And I thank you that we can emphasize something like service. And, and all of us get on board and realize that you've called us all. You've privileged us all to serve you. Waterheads are bowed this evening. And while the pianist playing. Tonight we covered... A lot of different subjects, including just our own family life, all of us as individuals, as families, about the importance of our testimony and our character. I just want to urge you tonight, between you and the Lord, there at your seat here at this altar, would you just say, Lord, I want to. I just want to be the kind of Christian you want me to be. I want our family to be the kind of family you want us to be. It's going to to take work. It's going to take discipline. It's going to take humility, but we can do it. With God as our helper, we can do it.